Welcome to the Development Policy Centre podcast. I'm Jonathan Pryke. On the 18th and 19th of June, the University of Papua New Guinea, in partnership with the Development Policy Centre, hosted the 2015 PNG Update in Port Moresby. You can find more on the update at our website, devpolicy.anu.edu.au. In this podcast, you'll find a keynote address from a UPNG and ANU research team headed by Professor Stephen House, providing a survey of recent economic developments in Papua New Guinea. Okay, thank you very much, Manoha. I know you've uh, sat through a lot, so I appreciate your patience. And uh, we're the last uh, paper before lunch, uh, so we'll try to be brief, although we do have a lot to get get through. This uh, paper uh, gives you an overview. Of course, it it complements what you've already heard from uh, policymakers. And uh, you'll see there's quite a bit in common, but perhaps some differences, which we hope will add to the discussion. Perhaps we're more focused on the risks, and uh, also because we're academics, you know, we always have to give policy recommendations. So we hope they'll complement uh, what you've heard. You know, normally when the ANU does these updates, we always do an overview paper. And uh, we do it for Indonesia, uh, China. We used to do it for PNG, but again, it stopped. So just like we're reviving the update, we're reviving the uh, overview paper as well. And as mentioned, it's a team effort between myself and uh, colleagues in the economics division at UPNG. And so we're also going to be presenting the uh, paper Uh, as a team. So I'm going to give the context and the recent growth performance, and then uh, Ani Rover is going to give the uh, macroeconomic and fiscal, so similar coverage to the uh, uh, central bank, uh, to Guy Kazi's presentation. And then uh, Wynne Nicholas is going to give uh, human development and structural reform, so more the micro side of the picture. And then uh, Dr. Albert Barker will conclude. And uh, the other two co-authors, if you've got any questions, you can ask them. They'll answer them. Uh, We do have a paper that will go up on the website shortly. We can't cover everything uh, in the paper and and less in this presentation. But do look at the paper if you're interested. Uh, Overall, you know, what we argue in the paper is that, uh, as you've heard, despite the commencement of the project, PNG faces with difficult economic challenges. We do think that the exchange rate is too highly valued, is overvalued, and also the fiscal deficit is unsustainable and difficult to finance. So if unaddressed, these problems could actually lead to a crisis. But fortunately, the government is addressing these problems. And you've seen the exchange rate is depreciating and the uh, government's announced a mini-budget. So what our message is, is that more needs to be done and more quickly. But that's the short term. We also have long-term messages of reforms to improve employment and human development. All right, well, this is the story. And uh, at the global level... You know, you've got a uh, continued recovery from the financial crisis, somewhat uncertain. But what's most important for PNG and Australia, actually, is a slowdown in growth in China. And that's really what's behind, or one of the key factors behind this fall in commodity prices that you can see. You know, it's remarkable that commodity prices stayed so high for so long. They had a fall in the GFC, but then they recovered, and they stayed high until 2011. So that's what you can see from this graph. He's put all the prices equal to 100 at 2000 to make the comparisons easier. Uh, And you can also see the projections and uh, most of the low prices that we're now experiencing, or relatively low, are expected to continue by the IMF out to 2020. So oil is the uh, blue line at the top and you can see it stayed even higher for longer. It only started to fall in 2013. And there is a slight recovery underway, but again, a full recovery is not expected. So as you've heard, the oil price is especially relevant for PNG because the LNG price 
is linked to the oil price. Now, we don't know the exact fall in the LNG price because it's covered by, it's determined by confidential contracts. But the ANZ has made an estimate, and that's what you should see in this graph here. And they anticipate that about a 40% fall in LNG prices is underway now because it reflects the oil price fall with a lag. So these price falls are what economists call an external shock. And external shocks carry risks. And how PNG responds to these risks and this external shock is one of the main themes of our paper. So while the main focus is on economics, we also have a short section in the paper on uh, politics, because obviously that's very critical background. And as academics, we're free to, to comment. Uh, the current time is one of uh, political stability in PNG, which is very positive, but there are uh, some political risks. We all know that there are various court cases uh, underway, including the Prime Minister, and they could be destabilising. And then importantly, elections are now approaching in 2017. And there was some earlier analysis of PNG by the IMF, and we've also seen this in other countries, that normally when you come up to election, expenditure increases. But what PNG needs now is for expenditure to fall. So the politics of this uh, uh, reform will not be easy. Uh, I now turn to the uh, recent growth performance. Uh, so as you've uh, heard from the central bank, uh, recent growth performance has been very positive in PNG. Uh, buoyed by high commodity prices, whether you look in terms of GDP or GDP per capita. I just want to go over the last couple of years because it can be a bit confusing. There are so many different growth estimates. Basically what's happened is the 2015 growth estimate has come down. In fact, uh, we heard from the Central Bank even lower to 9%. But the 2014 estimate has gone way up, as high as 13%. And that's really because the LNG project has come on schedule much earlier than expected. So most of its growth impact is now in 2014. But the combined two-year growth, if you add them together, you can see it's about 25%. Now, while these figures are impressive, uh, GDP is not a very useful indicator for resource-dependent economies because, you've heard, a lot of the benefits go offshore. So we need to look at a wider range of indicators. Uh, Non-mining GDP is one of those, and it's predicted at 4% for this year. But there are a number of indicators that suggest this may not be achieved. So there are no quarterly estimates of GDP for PNG, but the ANZ has started doing a business survey where they ask businesses uh, what's happened to their sales. And you can see most businesses say their sales in the first quarter were down compared to the previous quarter and also the first quarter of 2014. Uh, the central bank also reports quarterly employment data and you can see slow employment growth uh, in, the first, in the first quarter. So overall, while there was a stimulus from the construction phase of the LNG project, there hasn't been a stimulus from the uh, start of the export phase. And that's because uh, the government was already spending that revenue from LNG exports uh, ahead of borrowing, ahead of time through borrowing. Now we shouldn't forget about the other sectors you've heard about their importance. Uh, if we look at agriculture, we see growth is uneven, but overall slow. Uh, this is the most important sector for employment, and we have good uh, commodity data. Uh, oil palm has been increasing, although not, not recently, and the other commodities are uh, just fluctuating. We've looked at some, we've got some recent data on tourism, and that's a sector that did increase uh, up to around 2008, but not uh, recently. And that's perhaps because PNG has become a more expensive place to do business and visit, as we'll show later in the paper. Now, there are certainly bright spots for the economy. Construction has been strong. 
telecommunications should continue to do well. But the real upside comes from future resource projects, including expansion of the LNG project and the possible second project, the uh, elk antelope project in Gulf. Uh, the latest information is the a decision to proceed on elk antelope we made in 2017, which means the construction won't come until 2018 at the earliest. So overall, despite the commencement of the LNG project, the reality is the next couple of years will be quite difficult ones for the uh, PNG economy. And how difficult they'll be will depend on how the government handles the macroeconomic risks the economy faces. And so I now hand over to my colleague Ani to take you through the uh, macroeconomic and fiscal sections of the paper. Thank you, Prof. Um, ladies and gentlemen, um, The exchange rate, the exchange rate and the fiscal policy are the two key instruments a government um, has to respond to to an external shock. And these are the focus of my presentation. The Kina appreciated in value in 2011 and 2012, but started to fall in 2013 and 2014. As commodity prices fell and the construction of the LNG project came to an end. In June 2014, the central bank imposed a ban within which foreign exchange traders had to trade. Because the trading ban was imposed around a rate above where the market was trading, this led to an immediate exchange rate appreciation of 70%, which you can see in the, de uh, in the figure. Since then, the exchange rate has depreciated somewhat, but it's still about the rate a year ago. This is quite, this quite different to the experience of other uh, resource exporters, such as Australia, which have all seen the exchange rate depreciate over the last year. Although the central bank maintains that the exchange rate regime is still a floating one, the IMF says that PNG has moved to a defect of prolate regime. There is one in which the exchange rate still moves but is determined by the government rather than the market. The IMF view is supported by the large backlog of foreign exchange orders, estimated to be 1.5 billion kina or more. If the exchange rate is floating, we would expect to see the market clear. In the ancient first quarter of uh, survey of businesses, many businesses complained about the difficulty that they were having getting foreign exchange. This means that they are postponing investments and imports, which will have growth. The ANSET concludes that Liquidity conditions and matches as a source of the economy. We also observed foreign exchange reserves over the last two years as the figure shows. Reserves have fallen from $4 billion in 2012 to just below $2 billion today. Falling foreign exchange reserves again is consistent 
It added that the exchange rate is overvalued and that central bank has to intervene to provide foreign currency uh, to the market. As you may know, that rating agency, Moody's, recently had downgraded PNG's outlook from stable to negative. One reason for this is precisely the following exchange reserves. It was expected that the balance of payment would improve with the commencement of the LNG project, but, the, but with the fall in LNG prices, this is no longer so clear. Reserves have stabilized in the last couple of months, as you can see from the uh, graph, but that reflects a one-off event, uh, the sale of New Britain palm oil. In general, an overvalued exchange rate prevents the economy from adjusting to falling commodity prices. The IMF recommends a faster rate of depreciation, but depreciation of currency wouldn't be enough. One simple high demand for dollars is high spending by the government. Because much of the spending is on imports, such as infrastructure. That's why to solve the foreign exchange problem, the government also has to take all the deficit. Before turning to fiscal policy, note that inflation is on the rise, as uh, Dr. Kausi has uh, mentioned in his presentation, between 6.6 percent in 2014, and well, a bit below in 2015 first quarter to 6.1 percent. Depreciation itself will tend to push up inflation. That's another reason why depreciation has to go with fiscal adjustment, to which I now turn. As you can see from this graph, PNG has gone from a period of surpluses to deficit. The official estimate for last year's uh, deficit is uh, around 7.3%, only slightly less than a year before. Why is the fiscal deficit increased so much? Because of a rapid expenditure growth compared to weaker revenue performance. Expenditure has grown very rapidly between 2011 and 2014 by 30% a year after inflation. Revenue is not kept up and so borrowing has to increase and hence the deficit, which is just a measure of how much you borrow. The problem has became active this year. According to the Central Bank by April 26, four months ago, the government had spent 25% of its expenditure budget, but raised only 16% of its revenue target. This meant the deficit was already over 3 billion kina, which is about the target for the whole year, which is uh, 2.3 billion kina. That's very unusual and worrying. The government has also announced that it expects revenue shortfall of 1.3 billion kina, partly because of the supplementary budget for the year to, sorry, because of the um, falling the energy prices. That's why the government has to announce a mini or a supplementary budget uh, to adjust fiscal settings and cut back on spending. 
Again, post certain we not expected that the government would have to cut back on spending after the LNG project started, but this uh, slide summarizes the reasons. It is a combination of rapid expansion growth, heavy borrowing, LNG price falls, and poor revenue performance of the other resource projects that led to this difficult situation. The government had planned to eliminate the fiscal deficit by 2017, but without the prospect of revenue growth, that would cut from uh, expenditure cuts, which is what this graph shows. The reason given by Moody's for downgrading the output is that the government has sent said out would achieve these massive cuts. Indeed, given the difficult position this year in the next couple of years, the government needs not just a mini budget, but a new fiscal strategy. It will no longer be possible to eliminate the deficit by 2017. More realistic targets are needed, but there still need to be difficult expenditure cuts. It is very important that these cuts protect priority expenditure which is a point we return to later. The government will also need to look at uh, ways to boost uh, its revenue. One of the problems with the deficit is that it's very difficult to finance. You can see from this graph a period of decline that is now on the increase. Most of this domestic debt we know is limited appetite to take on more government debt. Central Bank announced last year that it would buy up government uh, debt that the market didn't want. And it has been reported that it purchased uh, almost a billion, one billion kina. Well, that's a risky strategy because it can lead to uh, inflation. And the Central Bank has recently announced it won't be buying more debt. That's good, but it leaves open the question of how the government will finance the deficit. Indeed, how has the government already borrowed 3 billion kina this year? The government plans to borrow also later in the year, but both to help finance the deficit and also to, also to uh, bolster the foreign exchange reserves. The downside of this is that any foreign borrowing will now be at much, of, much more difficult and expensive, given the negative outlook from uh, Moody's. Borrowing also might be a good idea, but only in the context of fiscal, to, fiscal reform to reduce the deficit. Otherwise, it's just too risky. I will now end over the presentation to my colleague, thank you. Thank you, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the section so far I've outlined some of the uh, short-term challenges relating to the balance of payment and fiscal balance. My section deals with the long-term challenge of human development and structural reform. The paper also is a section on 
public sector reform, but I have to skip that uh, due to lack of time. But concerning human development, we all know the challenges. The poverty rate is higher, 40%, which is most recent figure from 2010 until from 1996. PNG comes near the bottom of the Human Development Index and Gender Inequality Index. The government has invested heavily in both health and education in the recent years. It is too early to tell how productive this spending has been, though we know there are many problems with unfinished projects to the DSIP. Apart from increased spending, the key policies of the government in health and education has been the pre-education and pre-health policies. These policies were evaluated recently by the NRI and the NRI aiming in the surveys of schools and health clinics. The survey found that most schools were receiving the subsidy and that free education has boosted enrollment. Interestingly, the study also found that schools has on average been overcompensated. They received much more to the school subsidy payment than the loss in foregone tuition fees. On average, each school receives twice as much per student in 2012 than it did in 2001. This suggests that there is scope to cut school fee subsidy payment if required for fiscal reasons without reintroducing tuition fees. The same NRI annual research suggests that free, free health policy might be less successful. Schools were already receiving funds from government before free education was introduced. So it was easy to give them more funding when fees were abolished. But our survey, which was before the introduction of free health, found that only 41% of clinics actually received any resource from the government, even though all of them should have been. At the same time, when you did a survey, some 83% of clinics were getting funding from user fees more than from any other source. This suggests that we should not assume that when clinics give up user fees, they will also they will be able to get funding. If clinics lose funding and not and are not compensated, service delivery will suffer. In terms of gender inequality, we all know that there are many obstacles, but there are some areas of progress. The same NRI AU survey I mentioned earlier shows how over the last decades the proportion of female primary school teachers has increased from 27% to 55%. The new Family Protection Act is a big step forward to protect women from domestic violence, but the key will lie in implementation. The increasing level of government and non-government activity is also promising, for example, to make markets safer for women who are the main sellers and provide more support to survivors of family and sexual violence. I now turn to the structural reform. While PMG has benefited from liberalization in some sector of economy, it is increasingly a high-cost economy. One way to measure this is to the real exchange rate, which takes into account both the nominal and relative inflation. PMG has seen significant real exchange rate appreciation as a result of the boom. 
That means PMT is much more costly place than it used to be from a global perspective. No wonder that a number of tourists coming to PNT is falling. Therefore, therefore, a key question for PNT is how to reduce costs. Although the paper covers a number of other issues, including the cost of borrowing labor and land, given the surplus of time, I'm going to focus on two key issues, investment in infrastructure and state-owned enterprise reform. There are some indicators of improving infrastructure, for example, between 2007 and 2011, the proportion of national roads in good condition increased from 33% to 46%. There's also been a lot of work to increase port capacity, first in lay and long, but mostly. However, there are risks. If government has to cut funds, it is possible that critical areas like road infrastructure and especially maintenance will get cut. This graph shows the amount of funding estimated to be required to rehabilitate and maintain the national road network. It is 1.2 billion kina a year, a lot of money. As you can see on the graph, that's the gray, gray area. Battery, battery allocation has been increasing, that's the blue area. And in 2014, they almost reached the required amount, but in, the, but in this budget, the funding for roads has already been cut and more cuts are expected in the future budget, as you can see. This underlines the point made earlier that when expenditure cuts are made, it will be important to protect private areas such as road maintenance and education. One area emphasized by the government to improve infrastructure is public-private partnership. The government has recently put in place a public-private partnership act. However, the progress on the ground has been slow. For example, the government was meant to design on a public-private partnership to run the new labor, but this does not appear to be finalized, despite it being agreed back in 2008. When considering infrastructure, it is important to consider the performance of the state enterprise or SOEs. SOEs in PNG dominate many infrastructure sectors. Their poor performance is, is, is indicated not only by the weak finance, but also, more importantly, by the underperformance of those infrastructure sector themselves. The government's SOE agenda has two key components. The first is to restructure its ownership arrangement under what is called the Kumu Trust. Companies will be divided into three government groups, mining, petroleum, and, and everything else. This reflects the government's desire to participate in resource project as it did in the LNG project. The main questions around the Kumu initiative concern governance, financing and political interference. The second component of the government SOE reform is, is partial privatization. Sales of SOE up to 49% will be encouraged starting with any money. This part of the agenda has the potential to induce better performance. Experience suggests that in practice it is very difficult in PNG to get SOEs to run on commercial lines under state ownership. As the EDB has recently written about PNG, corporatization has not prevented political interference in SOE operation. A policy of partial privatization would shift the balance of objectives toward commercial ends. Unfortunately, the policy seems to be moving at a very short pace, even though privatization will help fund the government's deficit. 
I now hand it over to Albert Perbaga to uh, conclude. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. of the dais, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion part of our presentation. There is a lot in the paper we have not been able to include in this presentation because of the time constraint. For example, we also write about public sector reform, including the struggle against corruption. On the positive side, the high level of activity of the ombudsman. On the negative side, the defending of task force fee. We also write about the district development authorities, which are now up and running, and which are a major reshaping of the way government operates. We also write about the sovereign wealth fund, though what is now new draft legislation is still not in place. However, due to time limits, we have focused in this presentation on the recent and prospective growth performance of the economy, on the macroeconomic and fiscal risks, and on the longer term human development and structural reform issues. Based on this analysis, conclusions for both short term and the long term can be drawn. In the short term, 2015 to at least 2017, despite the commencement of the LNG project, this is a type of unexpected risk for the PNG economy, already facing ramped up expenditure and a high deficit, and an appreciated exchange rate, and the economy was then shocked by the oil prices fall. As a result, it is now facing both social, fiscal, and external risks, which is not addressed, will intensify. Reforms needed. Include a new fiscal strategy, including sensible multi-year expenditure cuts and exchange rate depreciation. Both will reduce demand for foreign exchange and put PNG once again on a sustainable path. The government has already embarked on this path, but more is needed and faster. In the longer term, the economic prospects are brighter with additional LNG and other resource projects on the horizon. That said, it will be several years before the next LNG project and relying on resource projects alone will not be enough to boost the living standards of ordinary Papua Guineans. The longer term challenges include those of infrastructure and SOE reform to promote broad-based economic growth and finding mechanisms to get funding direct to facilities such as health, clinics and education. Ideally, the longer term reforms program would be launched at the same time as the macroeconomic corrections currently needed. Necessity is the mother of reform as well as invention. Thank you. been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, 
Papua New Guinea and the Pacific, and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all the latest updates or connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.